0: Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael and I'm back tonight with my co-host Tom. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello everyone. And we are here for faculty meeting 155 house rules and new rules. And this is a look back at Dungeon Talk episode 20, which was originally titled 65MB, Mother Bleepers.
1: You guys, your all titles were very odd. I don't think, I mean, this is, this is, we're going back a ways and you guys weren't taking yourself super seriously yet. And you, I have no idea what this means until after I listened to it. I was like, oh, Michael probably recorded it and it was like 50, 65 megs. And at the time, he couldn't upload that to our upload.
0: Yes. At the time, I believe at the time, our limit was 64. And that episode was 65, but it still—I tried it and it still worked. And that's why I was like, "Yes, I don't have to like go through and like compress it down to make the quality go down any lower." Because like there was a period of time where we were doing some weird stuff on Audacity where we (laughs) uh, would—I would like have to re-re-export it as an MP3 and I would lower the quality down to like just garbage levels, trying to get the megabyte what ratio down. Uh, like we had several times we would co- record like three hour episodes and we have to break them into part one, part two and part three. You'll see that in some of the episodes you're getting to in a little while, because that's the only way I could upload it. I couldn't upload a 200 megabit episode. I had to like just break it into three chunks and, re- you know, I could upload all three of them at the same time. I could release them at the same time. But each individual file could not be bigger than I think. It was like 62 or 64, something like that. That is no longer the case. I don't know why that changed, but it did. Now I can upload any file size, so.
1: Yay. Okay, well, that's the explanation for the title. Yes.
0: Quickly, new patrons. We don't have any new patrons this week, which is sad, but this is the first time in a while we haven't, so that's still very exciting. And our patron of the week is actually Sandy. Now, Sandy technically is a Farm to Fable patron, so she probably will never hear this. (laughs) But uh, she's donating at a $10 level just because she likes what I do Farm to Fable. And I love that. So thank you, Sandy. I I hope maybe someday you'll hear this. I'm going to give her a shout out on the next Farm to Fable uh, as well, just to kind of cross pollinate so she knows. So before we get into the show, we always like to take a moment, take a step back and say why we are here. So the point of these faculty meeting episodes is that at some point in the conversation that Tom and I are about to have, we hope that there's something, at least one nugget of wisdom that you, dear listener, can pull out, apply at your tables, at your games, and make them more fun for you and your friends. But we do understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give will not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feels pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, You're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, the system or edition, what rules you use, don't use or misuse. As long as you and your friends at the table are having a good time, you're doing it right. So with that out of the way, we're going to jump into the RPG news. So what's going on in the world of RPGs this week's time? Okay, these are
1: actually some really cool industry things we have going on. All right, so Michael, are you a fan or did you watch The Dragon Prince?
0: I have not. Uh, My kids did. They really liked it. I have heard good things and I just, I've never circled back around to it.
1: Okay. So I really enjoyed this show. All right. My kids love this show. And uh, a while back, the Tales of Zadia role-playing game was announced, but everybody was like, when is this coming? We don't know what this is. It's done by the Cortex. It's going to be done by Cortex prime. And it's, Being done by the Cortex team, like the official Cortex team. And they finally announced that it's going to release on March 29th. So you can pre-order it now. All right. What's so interesting about this is one, it's not going to Kickstarter and Cortex is real. Yeah. So they're relying on their fan base and the strength of the Dragon Prince license over the Kickstarter marketing madness. This is interesting because there's been a lot of complaints recently about how larger companies don't need kickstarter right? right such as free league for example was the big one with the one ring people are like why is freely going to kickstarter a host of other people who do it too so cortex is like hey we think that we can make money and not pay give kickstarter their cut and just do it based on the strength of the license similar to what avatar the role-playing game did because we all know that did absolute re- ludicrous numbers on kickstarter
0: it was like nine million something right
1: yeah like nine and a half million and that is all thanks to the license all right so the other interesting thing to think about with this game is this is a licensed game that's not using dnd 5e so there's been a lot of talk recently on our podcast on twitter everyone is talking about the glut of D and D IP games right now. So let's not forget. We just talked about avatar. They did massive numbers with powered by the apocalypse. And it, it'll be interesting to see how cortex does with tales of Zadia. The thing that is going to be that kind of, we don't see the numbers though, because it's not going to be Kickstarter. So we are never going to really know unless they release it or if they immediately start getting gobbling up other licenses.
0: Well, th- there is already a He-Man license. I know that was announced a while ago, um, back right around the time that the Revelations show would hit Netflix. That's also yep. Cortex Prime, that they're working on that. So it'd be interesting if maybe Tales of Zadia doesn't go to Kickstarter, but then He-Man does maybe, that might tell us something. Like, I want them to be successful. But, like, if you're just asking me straight up, I think they're going to miss out on some money here. I think there's absolutely no, whether it's equal to what that gives it. Kickstarter takes like 10%. So in a $10 million, you know, Kickstarter, that's a lot of money. So maybe they won't miss out on enough to make up for that difference. But I do think they're going to leave some money, quote unquote, on the table by not going to Kickstarter. Cause even though you have that strength of the license, Kickstarter is a place where people can gather. They can share that excitement. It's very easy to point other people to it. They then get, you know, sucked up in the excitement. There's a stretch goal thing. There's, there's just numbers. It's just like, you know, like people who go watch a Marvel movie three times on the same weekend because they feel like they're part of the process when they can say, you know, my movie was the number one movie this weekend. Like there is a mentality that I think Kickstarter, good or bad, plays into where people get, feel like they're part of something that they're, they're really just a consumer of, but they feel like they're in a community and and, you know, they may be doing something on their own, on their own website. That's similar. They may be trying to have like a forum or a community place. I don't know. But my initial thought is. Yeah. It's going to be
1: interesting. I think the big thing here is that. So the problem with the going to Kickstarter first is that you lose the hype of the game. So For example, I look at, I think Magpie has shot themselves in the foot several times. Root. Avatar is now delayed. And so is there going to be sustained interest for this game? So they have their big Kickstarter, but is that it? Is that the end of their revenue stream there? So with Tales of Zadia, Cortex didn't say when it was going to be released. They said, March 29th, you buy the game, you get it shipped to you. Then, So there's this instant gratification, and they're, I think they're hoping that that's going to uh, provide them a more steady revenue stream for the game and allow for continual organic growth. We'll see, though, but I think the key thing here is that there is a false mentality that D&D sells the IP game. This is not true, and I think this has been proven now time and time again it's not D&D that's selling these IP games. It's the IP itself. The strength of the IP is going to sell the game. If you do a D&D Star Wars game, it doesn't matter. People
0: still buy Star Wars games. And, and things, I agree with that, though. And that, that's one thing that I don't understand. People always talk about this, you know, the glut, like the Doctor Who is the most recent thing, Dark Souls. I don't think being 5e is, is a particular benefit. People like, you know, you, again, this is all Twitter discourse, so most people are stupid, but they're like, well, because people already know how 5e works, they might try our games. No, because the people who love 5e love 5e. They want to play D&D 5e. That's not going to get them like, like me. I don't know anything about Doctor Who. I have no desire to play a Doctor Who game. Now, if somebody wants to run it for the podcast or someone on Discord's like, hey, I want to put a game together. Sure, I'll jump in because I like to play games, but I'm not going to go buy that book no matter what system it is. But the people who love Doctor Who are going to buy that book, no matter what system it is. Exactly.
1: So that's the whole point, which I think publishers need to, I think they're going to get, I think there's this, I think publishers, especially small publishers, they see D&D, they see how big of a market share it is. And they're like, we want a piece of that pie. But it's the wrong pie that they're trying to get. They're not going to get a piece of the D&D pie with their IP game. They need to just get strong licenses if they want to do this. I think I am – this makes me – you know, I have so many problems with the Magpies, the Avatar game, and I I don't think they were necessarily honest with it as far as like other than it was a cash grab and let's just call it it, what it is. And if they want to say that, that's great and, you know, props to them. Cortex, I think, is a little bit more open about, hey, they are going to maximize the ability of their system to be adaptable. And I think that they are, I think they're a little bit more open and honest about what they're doing. And they're using their game as a licensing tool. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, and I hope more licensed games are other systems. So curious to see Cortex is a perfect vehicle for license systems. So I yeah. hope that we can see more. This games. just
0: smacks of like upper management. Like you said, someone who has control of that license, but doesn't really know anything about role-playing games, just looks at the market, sees the market share. Probably someone went to them and said, Hey, we would like to design your game or they may have put up, you know, feelers out for who might do it. And then they're making choices based off of that. And so I I just it just smells like someone, You know, twice removed from the community making those decisions based solely on, you know, spreadsheet dollar figures. And I agree. I don't I don't think it's the problem is if Dark Souls has enough people behind it, it, it's going to do well. But not because it's 5e. And, and then again, people are going to take the long, wrong lesson. If it does well because of the IP, they're going to be like, see, 5e games do work. And then it's just going to perpetuate the stereotype. And, yep. you know, but I'm also on the same boat. I said this before. We had the conversation once before. I think it's kind of cool if people want to take 5e and really break it down and build it back up. I think there can be innovation there that I'm excited to see that. and you know, And I'd like to hear other people's thoughts when they actually do that. So I don't think it's like necessarily like a bad thing either, unless they just don't make really any changes. They're all cosmetic. So like when people were upset at Dark Souls saying like, you know, we've we've taken there's seven core elements of 5e and we're getting rid of five of them. I think that's cool because again, you can't, how many times can you rebuild games? Like, I just think there's a, there's a limit to how many times you can do it when it's still rolling dice, trying to get high numbers, but we've already had that conversation. We don't need to have it again. Other than I'm, I'm interested. I hope, the, the Cortex does really well. I we have a trial of it not too long ago. We did a Marvel Super Heroic, which is actually a dead system. But if anyone's interested in Cortex, that is very similar to Cortex Prime. So if you have any interest, I'll actually probably link that in the show notes. If you want to listen to it, you can hear us play a game and kind of get an idea of how Cortex works. So
1: you also did Firefly. I hope it does well. So do I. I hope it does really well. All right. So the next piece of news is Possum Creek Games. You all know uh, Possum Creek Games, uh, J-Dragon, Wander Home, and their new game, Yazeba's Bed and Breakfast. All right. So the news here is that they are going to be partnering with one more multiverse to bring Gazeba's Bed and Breakfast into their system. Uh, Michael, are you familiar with One More Multiverse? I've mentioned it here before.
0: Yeah, I think you and I talked about I think one one point in time, you had reached out maybe to try to do an interview. I don't know if that's still pending, but it's basically another VTT. But this is like the tech bro. Not the tech bro. It's, it's got like the huge money behind it. Like the it's, develop- tech okay. it's tech bro. It's tech bro. We're just going
1: to call it what it is. So they've
0: got a lot of money. So that if they can get the right partners so that they actually develop the tools correctly this could be really exciting and innovative because they've got enough money to really try some things
1: okay yeah so i so one more multiverse it is it's a cool concept and i think we need more cool concepts like this in the vtt world because the the, v, the virtual tabletop world is very very everybody's scope is very limited here about what it means. And one more multiverse is think of like an immersive pixelated video game structure. It's almost like a world that you have an avatar that you can play a game in. And so it, it, there's uh it's way more detailed and it's, it's interesting and it's going to work great for indie games. All right. So I am so skeptical of one more multiverse and because, like you said, it is a—it's very tech broy. So they had fourteen point five million dollars in initial investment. These are people who are video game industry people. A lot of you know, uh, we're talking West Coast people who are industry. And at face value, it screams of something that is never going to manifest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Uh So I think having Possum Creek Games involved, I think, lends itself some legitimacy. And if they actually if if they can actually do it, it's going to be awesome. All right. But dear listener, I would avoid investing any money in one more multiverse. <laughs> until we have a clear understanding of what it even is because it's a lot of fancy marketing lingo right now and a lot of money behind it. So, it's it's going to be
0: interesting to see. That's the big news. Well, fingers crossed that it is great cuz I think we need more VTT options um you know, I think innovation would be great and I'm all for it. Yep. So we shall see. All right. So what's next, Michael? Uh, so Action 12 update, no updates. catacomb updates, no updates. Cool. So we're on to the meat of the show. Dungeon <laughs> Talk 20, 65 MB Mother Humpers. So okay. uh, again, I have not listened to this episode in a while, but I'm looking at your show notes and I see right at the top, Savage Worlds. We just touched on this last time. I'm guessing we probably talk about the game we played.
1: Okay. Yes. So you guys played a game you don't talk about any of the specifics of the game that you played. Like, you don't go into the story aspect, but you guys do review the game and what you thought about it. So, high level here, and I want to hear if you remember about Savage Worlds. Okay, so everyone said they really enjoyed it, all right? Even Nico, who wasn't really into Westerns, because you were playing Deadlands. Yep. All right? And Michael, you said that you wanted to do your next campaign in savage worlds but the fantasy version Mm -hmm. did that ever happen no okay
0: why i don't remember exactly i think you know again i don't remember exactly when a new world took off or not a new world sorry made men but i'm gonna guess that we probably started playing made men and we just really liked it so much that it It just was like took over. I know there was also some hesitation on Nico's part part about playing a a Western game. He wasn't super interested, even though he he enjoyed that game. So I don't don't know for sure, uh, but I'd be willing to bet that the Made Men episodes are going to start coming out right around the time this one did and probably within a month or two. And that probably, because we just, we loved that game so much that when that started, Everything else would just went on, went off off to our top of our mind. That was that was it for a long time.
1: Okay, so interesting thing here. You all liked the game, and at this point, D and D next, what we know of as Five E now, was in its infancy. All right, playtest. You guys have been playing it. So, but because this Five E wasn't your main game, really, you all. Continued to compare Savage Worlds to Fourth Edition, all oh, right? Okay. So it was it was interesting. The thing that you all really talked about and you all loved so much was the what you felt was a lightness to the system. So it allowed you all to role play better because you all didn't feel like you were constrained by your character. All right. So, and the big thing had to deal with combat. And I wanted to touch on this. My, you stated, Michael, that you don't like D and D hit points. All right. That how hit points work, but you loved how Savage Worlds worked because your character got weaker. So as you took damage in Savage Worlds, you became less, uh, you did, de- you dealt less damage yep. in Savage Worlds. Do you, what, what, hold on. What's the deal with you hating something? That's D and D.
0: Okay, so quickly, so the very first episode of Made Men's, it looks like it Made Men, it looks like it came, down in, came out in November. We're talking six months separation, but I believe that we recorded that much earlier, and probably by the other time we got around to editing, so I still think that's probably was the biggest influence as we went to Made Men. So I'm going to say right now that I have completely reversed my opinions about both of these two topics. I am now no longer a fan of how Savage Worlds deals hit points because you get into the death spiral that when you get weaker, it's harder to recover and you just die because you You can't... spend your bennies. Well, but if you may not have them. So yeah, I... So, yeah, I, I mean, I like Savage World. It's still a really fun ses- system, but that's the one thing that I actually homebrewed one of the few times when we played it later is that if you didn't recover from a stun at the end of your first turn, you automatically did the next. So basically there's like, well, you only had the one turn because I think the death spiral thing is, it gets, it gets too deadly. And the way that I treat hit points in this conversation is different than I do now. I have gotten to the point now I talk about this quite a lot I'm sure over the course of the next you know couple years of the, the, the original dungeon talks I've talked about that but I no longer view them as meat points where every time you get hit for one point of damage it's like you literally cut me and I'm bleeding because I had a hard time dealing with the reality of how hit points in my mind work versus how the game works with like you know short rests and long rests and recoveries and that kind of thing so now I like to treat hit points of more it's like are you still in the fight or not? Not necessarily stabbed. And I think it makes for a more cinematic battle. I I wrote a thing on Facebook about that recently where sometimes you can miss your opponent mechanically, but in the narration, we will still describe that you hit them or you can hit them mechanically so they lose hit points. But in the narration, we might describe it as them blocking it with their shield or, or jumping out of the way. But the effort of dodging actually causes, you know, like you twist your ankle. So the hit points... I I have kind of changed the way that I view them. So I would say I'm pretty much 180% degree on both of these topics at this point, which I think is interesting to to see that some things have changed.
1: That sounds so mentally taxing to think of hit points that way.
0: I think when I play D and D
1: combat to me is very video gamey. So not in the sense of like everything is structured like a video game, but we treat the action like a video game. This is how I, how I've done it and my players do it is When you get hit in D&D, yeah, you get hit, but it doesn't really do anything. You know, like in a video game, your character still functions just as fine until you hit zero and then you're just dead. And so that's kind of that works for us. I see what you're saying, though, from a role playing aspect.
0: Yeah, I think it makes combat very like when you when you kind of realize that it's just it makes it really easy to have cinematic combat, uh, which I don't know that D&D does well, quote unquote, out of the box, But that basically opens up so that you can describe your combat however you want. It's just whether or not you actually lose hit points. So if you don't think of hit points as like physically blood or guts coming out, but you're just, you know, it's like a box. You have less energy, you're wounded, you're taking bumps and bruises. I I just think it adds a whole new element and dimension to to the way I can describe combat because I don't have to think of, well, you missed me. So that means you didn't hit me at all, like you, like you shot your arrow, you know, it went over my head and into the forest. Well, no, your arrow could be stuck in my shield or it could be stuck in my armor. It just didn't penetrate enough to hurt me, but it's like there's an arrow sticking out of me. And that may be, like, like obvious. Like, there might be people at least listening who are like, yeah, dummy. But for me, that's not how I viewed it for a long time. It was very binary, like a hit was a hit, a miss was a miss. And when I got away from that concept, I think I can do a much better job describing battles in d cinematically, which is what I'm going for. So, for me, it was revolutionary for me to come to this new ideology.
1: Okay. So, since you no longer like Savage Worlds. I did right. say that. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so, since you are not necessarily a fan of the Savage Worlds damage system anymore yeah. – and you've come around to D&D, but kind of because you're kind of just kind of having to role play it. Um, And I'm all about I'm all about playing a game that does what you want it to do. Um, Actually, so
0: the, it, the D&D fourth or fifth edition book talks about hit points are not meat points like it's, it's in there. Oh. And it's, it says that this is a combination of like luck. Karma, uh, as well as actual health. So the rules support my view. Thank you. Okay, very all right. Much.
1: So, okay. So if you're, but is there a game that you've played other than D and D that you feel like is that deals with damage and health like the best? Like, can you think of a game that you think Ooh. this does damage really, really well? Because I have my answer.
0: Well, you go first because I'm not thinking
1: anything. Okay, so. Honestly, I, there's two games for me that I think do this really well. All right. The first is Faith, the science fiction RPG. All right. The reason that I love how this does damage is that you have a very low number. It's just like D and D. All right. It's in the sense that in D and D, you may have 40 hit points, but in Faith, you have four hit points. All right. And in faith, you also have armor. All right. And weapons will do certain damage and your armor is able to soak so much of that damage. But the problem is, is that once if you get hit by really strong blast, you're like dead. So your hit points don't even matter really. It's all about your armor. So this, but this game uses like lasers and like vibro blades and giant space cannons. So you're supposed to be like, so it's like, this is like, you are going to die. Like if you get hit where in D and D, yeah, you get stabbed by a sword. Oh, well, so faith is the first one. This because I like the idea of having only a little bit of hit points and being able to die super easily. The other one is forbidden lands or the, the year zero engine. All right. Because the way this works is that your stats are your hit points. So you have your four attributes, alright? So your strength, uh empathy, will, and agility, I think is the other one. And as you take damage, your strength score is gonna go down, alright? It goes from 1 to 5. Your strength score is also how many dice you're rolling when you're attacking. So... If you start with five and you get hit by two, you now only have three. So instead of rolling five dice, you're rolling three dice. Mm -hmm. So as you take damage, you're rolling fewer dice. So I guess that's kind of like the death spiral. Yeah, it's a little bit
0: bit of a death spiral where once you get hurt, it's harder to do what you want to do. But specifically in Savage World, and I may be screwing up the rules, but the way I understood them is that you try to do a recovery roll and if you're injured, you do, you have a less chance of recovering because you're, you're either on a lower dice or a lower chance of success. I think you get like a negative penalty to the roll. So it's almost impossible. It's more difficult to recover once you're injured. So you're more likely to get injured again, which makes it even harder for you to recover. So it's very easy to go from totally fine to dead in Savage Worlds, which if that's what you're into, sure. But not, not yeah. my favorite flavor of games. So I, I was, while you were talking, I was listening, but I was also scanning the old RPG website here of all the different campaigns we've played, the different trials we've done, and the different field trips we've done to kind of refresh myself on all the various games I, I've played. Cause I've played a whole bunch of them. Some of these, I don't specifically remember how the hit points work to actually say for sure, So I'm just going to have to sadly say, no, I don't have a great example of how I think uh, any game that I was like, oh, yes, I love how hit points work here.
1: That's fair, because I do think one of the strengths of Dungeons and Dragons is its combat and how it deals with physicality and stuff. So I think that's a totally fair answer. Okay, so, yeah, no, overall, you guys enjoyed Savage Worlds and Deadlands. Um, We're still going to talk about Deadlands because the next tabletop.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Because we're talking about role playing in a way that harms the
0: partner. Ooh! I remember what happened, and I also remember <laughs> okay. coming up. There's a big issue between Nico and Rob, and that's in a, that's like when we get to a lost world. So this is you know probably a year or more away uh, in episodes, but. Yeah, there there was some cross-purpose role-playing that caused some hurt feelings, and this was minor compared to what we're going okay. to get eventually. Okay, cool.
1: Well, can you explain what... Do you remember what happened in this Deadlands game, that why this was a topic?
0: Yes, well, I think so. I, my memory is... So, part of this Deadlands game, which, again, if anyone isn't familiar, basically you're playing in what's called the Weird West. So, it's an alternate history of of the U.S. and the world where... This ghost rock type of thing was found and like spirits awaken. You have like uh you know scientists who can create like wild inventions and like shoot laser beams and like part of California broke off into the the uh the, the ocean. So it's a very <laughs> different version of the US in the eighteen hundreds, but you still have a lot of, you know, cowboy motif on top of it. So they were in like this sort of desolate town. And there was like a poltergeist in the or spirits in there. So they were, you know, like fighting ghosts and stuff. And I believe that specifically what happened is they went into the schoolhouse, which was one of my favorite set pieces of the encounter where there's basically was a poltergeist. It's kind of dark. Sorry, but there were some kids that, you know, that died. So there were these childlike ghost poltergeists that were still haunting this old schoolhouse and they got to the second floor and like the poltergeists were throwing like desk chairs and stuff around and i think i think it was evan who said i'm gonna shoot like no matter what basically if something pops in front of me i'm gonna shoot it and then the way that the scene progressed when they shot rather than shooting the ghost, because you can't shoot a ghost and, you know, shooting the deaths they are thrown at you, didn't do anything. They shot at and either hit or almost hit another character. And it was very much of, well, that's what I said I was going to do. That's what my character would do. You know, I said I was going to shoot no matter what. And then the no matter what ended up harming another character rather than the enemy. And it became an issue because it's like, well, you shot my character. Why would you do that? It's like, well, that's what I said it would do. So it basically was a, that's what my character would do moment, but in Savage <sighs> Worlds.
1: I hate that. All right, I I just whenever anybody says that's what my character would do, I will say, "Well, you don't do that." So it's just like, who made the character?
0: Who's running the character? You're you are actively making a decision right now. So I agree with you at this point. Like I probably at this point in my career, I probably would have said no. I probably would have actually stepped in and said that's not what happens. But I didn't do that. Is there a time? for players
1: to do this so negative actions in the game that could potentially interfere with what somebody else is doing is there a time for this
0: when everyone's
1: on board with it okay all right uh okay so yeah so i think then to kind of expand upon this when we when for when i think about everybody being on board with it i don't necessarily think every time you need to have like a conversation in the sense of like, hey, I'm about to do this and it's gonna negatively affect you. I think I, I I think that yes, you need to be able to, you need to be able to know everybody. You need to be able to know everybody's um uh kind of boundaries. And I think if somebody says like, hey, I don't want you to do that, like, then you need to, that's their line and you need to say, okay, I won't do that, but I do think it's still, it's fun to do it if you can role play in a negative way. So, for example, uh, you got to be just very cognizant and careful about it. I think so often about our, like in Ghost of Saltmarsh, we had the three characters, they bickered a lot. And they did stuff that at face value seems like negative, but it was stuff that was never really affecting the other characters what they wanted to do so mm-hmm. a prime example of this is jake's character left troy a potion of storm giant strength all right and jake's character wanted troy's character to drink this potion all right so that he could be really strong for this last battle and jake's character went away so but troy's character comes up and is like i'm not drinking this potion and smashes it all right so this does this is what as the party we're like okay as a whole, this kind of negatively affected us, yep. but it was Troy who decided that his character wasn't going to do something to his character. So he was able to internalize everything and all that negative. It was just Troy's stats didn't go up. All right? right. It wasn't like Troy made Jake's character worse or he hit Jake's character. Hmm. So it was, I think you can do negative stuff, but you just got to be really cognizant of how you're doing it
0: yeah i agree I, for me i think one of the biggest points is the type and tone of the game you're playing and again particularly in savage worlds when and my, my memory of the situation is that evan's character shot rob's character so the way savage worlds works if rob's character got hurt they are now less effective in the battle because again there's now taking negatives because they are wounded so it made Rob less effective f- throughout the rest of that fight, which means they were probably missing, which means they weren't doing the cool stuff they wanted to do when they want you know, when you want to play a game and you're a cool cowboy, you want to shoot things like that's what, you know, that's what you do. Right. So they were not able to do those types of things anymore. They were less, less likely to contribute and also more likely to die. And when this is a game where characters could have died. And that's generally not fun. I know some people like to play that way. Fine. But for me, it doesn't work that way. So I think if you're in a game where you kind of know that your characters aren't going to die unless you want them to. Like, you know, it's like an agreed upon thing. Characters don't die. They may go unconscious or whatever. But unless unless you want your character to leave, they're not going to die. Then you have a lot more freedom to do those sorts of things and then have emotional role play later of, you know, we almost died because... Of your impetuousness. Then you can have a really cool, juicy scene where they're talking about it, but neither one of them lost a character. Neither one of them, you know, lost that, that moment. And I remember we played Wrought Iron when I was playing Army. I would constantly do things that were terrible when it came to battle strategy. I would not wear my armor. Because why would army wear armor right now? That doesn't make any sense. I'm not in any sort of battle. So then when when invariably we got jumped in the street, I didn't have it with me or I wouldn't carry my weapons. Cause like, why would I carry my weapons right now? You know, and I was built terribly. I was not built optimized in any way, but I kind of knew the game we were playing where we could joke about that and they could like make fun of me. And I never thought for a second, my character was going to die. There's one moment in particular where, I knew as Michael, I knew for a fact that there was about to be a giant assault on our island from an ocean force, okay? Knew it, knew it, knew it. What did Army do? The, the You know, the bay was kind of calm and everybody was leaving. I didn't understand what's going on. So I walked to the end of the dock by myself. You know, from a battle standpoint, I probably should have died because when the attack came, I was completely separated from everyone else. I think I instantly got knocked into the water. I wasn't a, you know, good swimmer. But it was a great moment from a role play situation because it's exactly what Army would do. It put me into a dramatic situation that we got to deal with. So in that game, me making the types of decisions that would have gotten myself killed and possibly negatively affected everyone else's character would have been the wrong thing to do. In that game, it was exactly the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, no, I think, yeah, it's all dependent on the game, the character. And you got to be, yeah, you got to be so careful Don't do it all the time either because then it just gets annoying. And you guys talk about this. Like, it's okay every once in a while for if during the middle of the battle, the fighters in the middle of a bunch of group of zombies and the wizard decides he's going to drop a fireball on them, you know? the fighters in there, you know, it happens sometimes. (laughs) But if every fight you're hitting the fighter with a fireball, that's going to annoy them like so much. Just don't be annoying, like
0: yeah. I mean, don't be a jerk about it. Like again, it can be fun on occasion because it can lead to some juicy role play, uh, which is what I want. But yeah, I mean, but the fighters like don't do that. Then at some point, if you continue to do it, you are just being an instigator and kind of being a jerk out of you know for really no good reason.
1: Okay, so I the next segment you guys had was mailbag. And I don't know what to say about this mailbag because you guys definitely wrote this question. You are wrong, sir.
0: You are 100% wrong. As I saw this in your notes, I actually went and found the email in my uh, in basket and I sent it back to myself. So it would be near the top. We got this question from Christian Pritchard, who I okay. believe was like a music major, and he wanted to do a music-based puzzle, but he was concerned that no one else in his party would understand the like the notes, A, B, C, D type of thing. Uh, and so we had actually... Uh, Answered his question. We tried to do a forum back in the day. It didn't work very well, but we were trying to push people to write questions there. And we already answered the question. And so the only email I actually have from him is the follow-up question. I don't have the original question, but I know this is him because it's music-based uh, question from like, when when did he send this? Uh, this is so funny because... June 11th because... of 2013 is when I got that email.
1: Okay, this is so funny because... When you're reading this question, all right, so I know that I guess Evan does music, right? Yep. Evan knew music. So I was like, oh, Evan's asking this question. All right. And then the other thing is, then you're like, then at one point you're like, yeah, I don't remember this person's name. And then and then at another point, you're like, oh, I really like this puzzle. I was like, oh, this is something that happened in your all's game that Evan was running. You you can't remember his name because you guys weren't smart enough to come up with a name. Probably
0: I've deleted the original email because I only have the second follow up. So I bet I just deleted his email and I really couldn't remember it.
1: Okay, so. I don't do puzzles in my games. I just don't. So, but here the question was, and I, maybe you've got to answer now. So the question was, so can you have a musical puzzle in your game if none of your players know music? All right. Think about most puzzles are typically solved by player knowledge and not character knowledge, but other role-playing tasks like banging down a door are solved by rolling the dice and not by who's the buffest person sitting at the table. Yep. All right. So, can't how do you handle this stuff like puzzles that rely on actual player fortitude? And when do you just tell them, oh, you roll the dice, you solve yeah. the puzzle?
0: So we've talked about this. I mean, probably we'll talk about this multiple times throughout the the series that we're kind of relooking at. And I, I think basically what I've come down to is I still like puzzles and riddles in the game. I think they can be a lot of fun for me as a player. I like them uh, as a DM. I want my players to feel smart and, and you know, come up with a solution. But I have found that generally speaking, and it is very true for me personally, if you ask me a riddle, I either immediately know the answer or I will never come up with the answer like you can give me a hundred years and I will never solve that riddle because I'm just not thinking of it the right way unless you give me so many hints that it's just you know you're basically telling me the answer without telling the answer right so I think that's how you present a puzzle. you present it to them. And if someone in the party knows it or thinks they can figure it out, you give them five minutes. But if they haven't figured it out, then you say, "Well, you know, so and so, your character's a wizard. Why don't you roll history? You give them a hint. Why don't you roll Arcana? You give them a hint, and then you let their dice rolls matter. Because you're exactly right. I don't have to physically do a push-up to do a damage in the game. Why do I? You know, why do I actually have to to solve the the, uh, the riddle? The, the answer is because it's fun. It's fun to answer riddles. It's fun to do those things. So you give them the opportunity to solve it with player knowledge, and if it doesn't work, then you just roll really quickly into character knowledge. And either you just have them roll and succeed. Oh, you rolled an eighteen. Okay, great. Yeah, you you realize this is a musical puzzle. Obviously, the B C D E is the the you know the sliding scale or whatever. Because I don't know music either. Or you just give them a really strong hint, you know, hoping that they can still get to them themselves whatever's the most fun at the table. But that would be me. You start, if players know it, great. Go to the dice, start with a hint. If that doesn't do it, then you just give them the answer based off the rules or or not. Or, you know, you change the scenario based off of the rules. So what about you? You don't use them. So what do you think about that solution?
1: I hate puzzles. I don't have an answer to this. Puzzles, like you said, they're fun. Michael, they are not fun for me. So I am not doing it right. Let me me ask you a riddle.
0: (laughs) What begins with a T ends with a T and has a T in the middle.
1: See, I don't know. And it just frustrates me <laughs> that I don't know this. All right. So, what? all right. What is it? It's a teapot. Okay. So okay. T, I, get I, T, get I get it. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. So, there is nothing worse for me because it happens. It, I don't know what it is about con games where every dungeon master – this is like when I first started like playing d d So, when I would go to like public events, I would play D&D. And every single one of them would always have a puzzle. Yeah, it's, it's like it's
0: common, you know, it's yeah. your design that you have a, a puzzle or a riddle S- or something in them. So they
1: would drop this like this piece of paper on the table with some symbols on it. And I would be like, all right, I'm completely out of the game now and I'm doing a mini game. Mm-hmm. And so, but anyway, yeah, listeners, if you like puzzles, do what Michael said. <laughs>
0: One of the best puzzles I ever came up with, and it seemed to work, but it was definitely a thing where like two players really enjoyed it and the other two players just waited for them to solve it. I basically did a Sudoku style puzzle with D12s. I had I had these like oversized D12s and I had uh, for every, like all the numbers, I had translated them to symbols. So I had like a little sheet of paper that said if it was a one, it's actually this symbol. And there was like a whole bunch of different, receptacles throughout this dungeon and you had to turn the D12 a certain way. And it basically was a Sudoku puzzle. And once they figured out the Sudoku, you know, it was like a 12 gridded Sudoku type thing, they could could open any door once they had figured out the puzzle. And I remember Brad, I think, was actually the one who figured it out. And again, I think he really enjoyed that. The problem was that... Uh, the other players were just kind of like waiting for them to solve it. Yeah. So in that regard, it wasn't a puzzle because I needed something for the, other, maybe like a fight was happening. The other ones were fighting while he, Why he did that, that would have been better, but I'm still a fan of puzzles as a whole. I think it's, it's part of the game that I enjoy as a player. And I think, I think I have fun as a DM trying to create them. I just, yeah, I've, I've had some really bad examples. And I've been talking about them before, so I'm not going to get to it here, but yeah, they can yeah. be very disheartening if they're not just, if you can't roll a die and get through it, then it, it can become a problem.
1: Yeah. And I think when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons players, especially like yourself, Michael, with this, in this regard, I don't think you're in the minority here. I think most people really enjoy puzzles. So, all right. So this was a little mini segment that uh, I think is actually kind of cool. I don't know how many times you're going to do this. Probably
0: never again. Okay. I,
1: yes. But this is a cool question. I like this. So, you guys were it was the section called house rules. It was you all were talking about rules from other games that you wanted to bring into D&D. And this all hinged back to Savage Worlds and Michael wanting to bring in the health system into D&D. So, are there I just want to ask you, are there any talking specifically about D&D? Are there any house rules or rules from or specifically rules from other systems that you've brought into fifth edition to
0: use so i do a combination of bennies with inspiration and that you can collect them it's not you don't either have it or you don't i give out physical tokens uh when i'm playing at the convention i'm I'm actually holding them right now so it's uh, a catacomb chips we make I give one to start every game. I think that's kind of how bennies work. And then you can have as many as you, like, if you make me laugh, you get a benny. If you do something cool, you get a benny. So you can have a 10 bennies before the game is over. So we still call them inspiration tokens, but they're basically bennies from Savage Worlds. And I think they work a lot better than inspiration as written.
1: That's cool. I mean, I don't really do a whole lot of house ruling myself. I've I just kind of, I, I guess I'm not one to really kind of tweak rules. To me, I just, I just don't do it. I enjoy when somebody I'm playing with has come up with a cool rule. But me, when I'm running games, I just, I typically just don't have that mental capacity and space to do that. I think probably like the, uh, I'm trying to think of like the big house rules that I have. And I think really it's, I really don't have any in D and D other than we don't use movement rules when we play. So I kind of use the I guess, no, that would be a rule because I took I took the Star Wars kind of strategy and I don't have the because in Star Wars, you have like the set the circles and it's like you're either near far or really far Mm. or however it is long range. And I kind of use that for D&D, too. So anyway,
0: 13th age has a similar system. You're either engaged. You're near someone or you're like ranged from them type of thing you don't have to actually track movement necessarily which i play theater the mind so i basically kind of ignore movement most of the time too unless it's just like you know extravagant like i can move 30 feet and i, I started the scene by saying you're 250 feet away other than that i'm probably gonna like do you want to hit someone? Yeah, you can get there to hit them. So, you know, I, I want to get to the cool stuff, so I'll I'll ignore that. Uh, a couple other house rules is critical hits. I don't think this is from another game, but in my games, um, if you crit, you automatically do max damage, and then you roll again. Whoa! So the minimum damage that you do on a crit is normal maximum plus one, and the most you can do is actual double. Because I've had so many times where you roll that critical hit, and then you roll two ones on damage, and it's just like... Wah, wah. So i don't like that so yeah so so crits are pretty powerful and then hit points you get maximum at first level which i think that's either like a standard rule or a pretty common alternate rule yeah uh, but then from then on you can roll for your hit points but if you roll less than the average you can take the average so there's no okay, penalty on cool. hit points but there is a possibility of so you can get some variance between different classes and if you know or if you same characters if you roll uh, which is funny because I don't do a lot of combat and you can almost not never die in my games, but I'm kind of generous on the hit point.
1: Okay. No, that's cool. Yeah. Like I think, um, let us know if you have any interesting house rules
0: and that, yes, yeah,
1: shoot us an email and tell us
0: them. Uh, yeah. or well, if you know, also like- the, the hit point thing, if there's a, a game that you think handles hit points just really well, please let us know that as well. Just email us, therpgacademy at gmail.com. If you have any questions for us, like, uh, again, we want to start doing a regular mailbag segment, segment, email the show, therpgacademy at gmail.com, and especially send us real questions. We we haven't made any up so far that we've been doing this. We have not. But uh, we might have to if we don't get them. But we did get some questions this time. Okay, Uh, so so let's dive into it. Yeah, so we got uh two questions from Sherwood on our Discord. Uh the first question is When will you make a Wheel of Time TV show podcast? I think this was said mostly in jest, but I want to cover this because this came up on detention last week. We had Kevin on from Game Not Heroes, and he's a bigger fan of the books than I am. He's he's you know, I like the books, but he loves the books. And he has not finished the show yet. And I told him that once he finishes it, we need to have another conversation. We've decided we're actually going to do that as a Patreon bonus podcast. So he's currently, he's, he sent me a message. He's currently finishing the series. Once he's done, we're going to do just one show where we talk about the entire series, you know, good and bad. So I'm not going to do like Wheel of Time like I'm doing Smallville, but we are going to do a, a one episode, one off bonus Patreon episode about the Wheel of Time season one. Okay, that's cool. Uh, secondly, this is the kind of the real question. Um, Sherwood said that they were about to wrap up a two year long Curse of Strahd campaign and are going to be moving into a Strixhaven, Strixhaven campaign, same group, obviously new characters, and they were looking for any thoughts or suggestions on what to do to wrap up a campaign. They were thinking about doing a, what have your characters been up to since escaping Barovia, you know, kind of like the end of the movies where they'll have like the credits and like four years later, this person owns a car dealership in Texas type of a thing. Uh, And then they go on to ask, any thoughts about playing Strixhaven? So, like, any suggestions on how to get a Strixhaven game up? So, you played Strahd a couple times. So, what are your thoughts on this? Um, Just, I guess, in general, the main question is ending a campaign. Like, thoughts on how that should happen. Okay. And you just did that, like,
1: last week. Exactly. So, I have ran Curse of Strahd twice. All right. Love it. And I just wrapped up a campaign, which was Ghost of Saltmarsh. So have a session Z. All right. This is we have taught all right. This is on Pat you heard it here. Session Z is a RPG Academy thing. You have your session zero, all right, but the have a session Z. Don't role play at all. I I know it's a common thing to do that. What has your characters been up to? Don't just try actually try not doing that. Just let your campaign end. Then come back into another session where then just talk about how much fun you all had and talk about the highlights. So as the Dungeon Master, put together a question list like, hey, who was your favorite NPC? What was your favorite character arc? Was there a moment that was super confusing for you? Is there something that you wish your character would have explored more? If you want an example of that, we're going to be releasing a the Ghost of Saltmarsh mortem parentheses, session Z where I do that with my players and it's this is not meant to be like a for people who've listened to Ghost of Saltmarsh but like hey how did you what was it like finishing up a campaign so have that session Z all right just talk about your campaign don't let it just die on the tree have a conversation about it remember it it's a lot of fun the second thing is specifically for Curse of Strahd. The key thing that makes Curse of Strahd so fun is that it's tragic. Lean into it. So if you want to end it, make let it end hopeful. All right. But if you do have that, you know, in a year, what's going on? Maybe have it that one of the players actually caught vampirism and they didn't realize it until six months after they left Barovia. And now they're. A vampire. So if you want to have a questions like, Hey, where are your characters now? Ask them what bad thing happened to them in regards to Barovia, or even better, have them all be at their homes or whatever. And then like, Oh, everything's happy. And then have them all wake back up in Barovia and boom, then you're over forever like mm. like this whole Barovia is supposed to be this very you will never escape it or there is going to be a piece of it in you forever or you have left a piece of yourself in Barovia. Barovia is a weighted scale and so really lean into that and because it's tr- let your players enjoy the tragedy that is straw and i think they'll have a lot of fun with that
0: so very cool So then the next section here is, so you're about to start a Strixhaven campaign. They're going to have their session zero. Ding, take a drink. Uh, And they're looking for anything specific you would suggest for starting a Strixhaven campaign. Now, we haven't, at least I haven't played a Strixhaven game. We did the review of it. Uh, We were both generally pretty positive on it from what I remember. Yeah, I really liked it. Uh, So... I don't have a strong answer here, but do you have anything that you would say? Cause I, I know, I think we talked a little bit about it in the review. I kind of remember, I don't remember specifically what we said, but we talked a little bit about what we might do or some things we might change or like emphasize. But do you, do you have any memory of specifics or anything here you just add?
1: Yeah. I think for Strixhaven, what's so key is don't try to homebrew it a whole lot. It is really, it's really strong on its own. And play it as it's written. I mean, it is, it's, I think it's a lot of, I think it's a lot of fun. I think a cool thing that you could potentially do is have your character, have the players pick just a world that they're from. Because remember, Strixhaven is like a, it's like in this multiverse kind of realm. So let them, and maybe this doesn't have anything to do with their character as a whole, but it's just something cool. So they could say, my character is from, the Forgotten Realms, or my characters from Eberron, or my characters from Barovia. So let them, if especially if you all are really into D anD D, like let them all pick a famous D anD D world, and they're from there. Then you have this weird cohesiveness that uh, this kind of multiversal stuff going. On. I think that would be really cool with Strixhaven, and the book kind of tells you all this that hey, it's the characters could be from anywhere. So that's what I would do.
0: I would say go watch the first season of The Magicians, because one, it's an amazing TV show, and it's kind of about a magic school, but it's not your Harry Potter, and I think that would be a ton of good inspiration for what you could do with that. I, You know, it definitely leans into uh, sort of the drama that you get from being in the type of school, but where, we're, you know, kids can die from like a magic issue, or like, you know, uh, you know, it's not... I guess Harry Potter does too, but not, it's not as kid friendly as that. And that's what I would probably want to do in a strict seven campaign. I remember we didn't really like the whole like study, get a bonus to take a test oh, yeah, thing. that's uh- yeah. So I, I wouldn't worry so much about that. As, but you but you want these classes to matter, like, you know, trying to think back to my days in college and how much I, I loved that time in my college that, you know, you build friendships and bonds in that time of your life if you're lucky enough to be able to go and, you know, attend a college um, where, you know, you're going to have people you like, you're going to have people you want to have a relationship with, romantic relationships are, you know could develop. So really lean into that role play, but it's just centered within a school because it's a magical school. You could have one session where you're doing like deep dungeon exploration and the next you might be like, you know, looking at the stars on a mountain peak uh, observatory dealing with, Exposure to the elements, or like some sort of magical phenomenon. You know, maybe it's like an aurora borealis, but it's like a magical thing, and it starts messing with all the magical items. They're starting to explode. So everybody's like, you know, wand of uh, wonder, or whatever the teacher has, is now like a m, you know, like an M eighty about to explode or something. You could do just so much weird, fun things with that, but centered on the the relationships, I think that would be probably my advice for sure. All right, and and then finally, we got a, a question from Scurby Ninja on Twitter. I also want to mention Scurvy Ninja is is Scurvy Ninja is in our Discord, and they are going to be running a trial of the DC Heroes game. I kind of mentioned a while back I wanted to play, and they are going to organize that. And we've got players. Don't know yet if we're actually going to record it. It might just be for a funsy thing, but I appreciate them stepping up and willing to do that. So they are asking. We've talked about our appendix N for fantasy role playing games. But what about superhero RPGs? So if you're unfamiliar, Appendix N is in the original, I think it's the Dungeon Master's Guide for D&D, and it's a list of fantasy books that inspired Gygax to build the game that he did. So basically it's like suggested reading for fantasy. So Tom, if somebody's going to play in a superhero RPG, are there any like highly, highly recommended books for someone to get Inundated in the superhero worlds that they would be better to run a superhero RPG.
1: Okay. So the, yes, there are specific books. All right. These are not the most famous books, but when it comes to role playing and doing a team role playing game, my favorite team book of all time is Secret Avengers by Ed Brubaker. Mm. All right. This is the coolest Avengers team ever. It's Moon Knight. It's Steve Rogers, leader of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's War Machine. It's Valkyrie. It's really good. All right. And I like this because it's an Avengers team that is made up of the most, and also Beast. It's like the most unlikely Avengers team. They don't mesh at all, which a lot of times that's what a role-playing game is. You have all these characters that are so weird and so different. And you're like, how did these people come together? And that's why that book, Secret Avengers, awesome. Good choice. Another one is New Avengers. All right. This is going to give you your, this is another kind of around that same period. This was written by, um, I'm blanking on who it was written by now, but New Avengers, just look up New Avengers awesome stuff and then if you're looking to do some like darker like some bronze age superhero games i would definitely recommend frank miller's daredevil runs okay easily it's what the show the the marvel netflix show was based off of it's just there's a lot of team elements there too because there's a good cast of npcs there with between between Foggy and all of Daredevil's friends and stuff. So that's definitely key. And then also, if you want to get into like uh, some DC stuff, I'm keep on recommending some teen books is yep. detective comics. So that's a, uh, the newer detective comics. So the rebirth detective comics by Joshua Williamson were amazing because it's all bat family stuff. So it's all batman and robin and batgirl and duke and all these nightwing everybody working together so team books
0: team books so i i mean it depends on like what type of rpg you're going to play because you can play an rpg where you're street level superheroes like marvel knights Uh, Or, you know, maybe Batman Moon Knight, or you can play them like Guardians of the Galaxy where you're out in space and you're dealing with cosmic heroes. You know, you could be Infinity Stone type of stuff. So I would say a lot of it depends on like what type of superhero game you want to play. And then I would say go out and find all the DP7 comics from the uh, New Universe run in the 80s from Marvel uh, because I love them. No one else does, apparently. You've talked about these before. I love them. Uh, And it's basically sort of an X-Men when they're in a world where X-Men don't exist because normal people get superpowers and they just, you know, you have normal people drama, but you have superpowers. And I love it. It's great. Uh, But for me particularly, that's the type of superheroes I like to run and play is more street level, you know, maybe getting up to like an Avengers sort of thing, but not cosmic, you know, power level. That's not particularly what I'm in for. so. All right. Hopefully that was somewhat helpful. And I think that is it. So we will wrap things up there. As always, Tom, I appreciate you doing the heavy lifting and go back and re-listen to the old episodes and coming up with the, with the outline and then also covering the news. Uh, if people want to come yell at you for your wrong, bad opinions, where should they go?
1: Uh, that is uh, you follow me on Twitter at Bezcar Tom. Yes, it's Mandalorian Metal Tom. Come yell at me.
0: Bring it. It's already been brought. Uh, As for myself, you can find me at the RPG uh, on... The RPG Academy on Twitter I made mean, my, my mind just blank there for a second. Uh, you, can email show the, you can email the show again at the RPG Academy at gmail.com. Uh, please consider joining our Discord. Again, we have a ton of fun. We are going to be watching a movie this weekend and then having a Zoom after for our movie watch along. Um, Michael from the Redemption podcast just picked Silverado. Uh, Western from early mid eighties. Oh, I
1: love that movie.
0: Yeah, we're watching it Sunday, two o'clock, right after we're going to do a Zoom call. We are finishing up our uh, our book club for February. I'm actually going to push it push into the first week of March. So we're going to be finishing that up and doing a Zoom call book club meeting for that book, and then we're going to be picking a new book for March. Uh, you can get bonus episodes from myself and tom and some other things so uh, well that's the discord the patreon is where you get some of the bonus stuff so please consider that as well because i'd love to have another new patron we can shout out next time uh but i think that'll do it for now so we're going to sign off but before we do always like to take a second and say remember if you're having fun you're doing it right thanks and we'll see you next time thanks for listening to the rpg academy podcast